gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. In this episode, we're joined by Amir Rajan. How's it going today, Amir? Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, it's going great. It's it's awesome to have you on. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of directions that we can take this, and you've been uh, you've been pretty prolific in sharing a lot of details about the App Store, and you've been on a lot of other podcasts, obviously as well. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have have already heard you in, in at least a couple different places. Um, but but I think there's still a lot that we can explore in this episode. So kind of why don't we set the stage a little bit um, for anyone who might not have heard the backstory uh, before we get into the the nitty gritty there. And and what can you talk a little bit about like what a dark room is and and what led you to kind of create the mobile version of it and get started on this path? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so way back in the day, way back in the ages of 2013 and 2012, when when uh, single page applications were just starting off. Uh, I quit my job. <laughs> so I was doing corporate, uh, I was doing corporate development, uh, primarily uh, web-based, web-based development, a lot of JavaScript, um, a lot of .NET. And um, around 2013 is when I decided to just kind of take a sabbatical. So I took some time off and um, just wanted to take, wanted to learn stuff. That was kind of my thing is like, I just wanted to build what I wanted to build. And around that time is when I came across the web version of a dark room. So you can actually play the web version right now. Um, it, there might be spoilers in this podcast, right? So download the <laughs> download the mobile version or play the web version. Um, you can play the web version at uh, doublespeakgames.darkroom.com. And um, it, it was like an idle-based, uh, uh, it's a minimalist text-based RPG, uh, for, for, the, for lack of a better term. You don't really enter any, like, uh, words or, you know, there's no keyboard import like Zork, but... If you've played Zork or one of those old school uh, Commodore 64 games, uh, it will it will bring back some nostalgia from from playing those. So uh, I came across this game and I said, you know what, I'm on a learning sabbatical and kind of want to do my own thing. And so I, I contacted Michael, the original developer of the game, and so let me port it over to I, iOS, and uh, we'll sell it for a buck, uh, well 199 at the time, but generally a buck, and we'll split the profits. And we're probably not going to make anything, but eh, might as well give it a shot. So I spent four months uh, kind of learning iOS, learning the platform, and never did, I've never done mobile development. So that was like all new to me. Learned the platform, built the game, put it out there. Uh, first, first day I got 30 downloads. We were excited. We we're like, hey, this has got some good mailbox money. And then four months in, it goes viral in the UK, becomes the number one app overall. And then two weeks, two weeks after that, it becomes the number one app in the US. Um, Above Minecraft, above Heads Up, all the all, all the big big shots, and uh, it stayed there for for about eighteen days. Um, dropped to number three or number five, then went back up to number number one for another two days, so twenty days overall. And then uh, made it free for a week. It hit the number three spot in the free app store. I recently uh, released it to Android, probably about four or five months ago, and it's hit the number five spot in the game category and the number seven spot overall. So um, it's had a wide, wide variety of success um, across across the years, and then I've built uh, two other games. I built the Ensign, which is a prequel to a Dark Room, and then I have a new IP called uh, A Noble Circle, which is a, a reinterpretation of uh, Flatland, which is a which is the satirical novella by uh, Edwin Abbott. I don't know if if you all have read it, but uh, it's 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 on the Gutenberg project, and I did a I did a re a new a rendition of that for the twenty first century. 
so that's kind of in a nutshell what I've been doing for the you know past past three three and a half years, and uh, that's all she wrote, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could write a bit more, I'm sure. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned that you weren't a mobile developer before getting started on this. Had you ever done any game development before, or were you new to that as well? Uh, mostly, a lot of my game development was uh, hackathons. So there's a there's a hackathon out there called uh, Node Knockout, and uh, it's a competition. I think I think they even had one last year. Uh, but basically, you use Node.js and whatever new te- new web technologies to build something, and then I always ended up building a video game uh, with my team. And you know, when you when you get into development, that was one of the things that always drew me to development was, oh, I want to build a video game, even even when uh, way back in high school. So that was that was I've all, I've been an avid gamer all my life, and uh, that's kind of what drew me to to uh, programming in general and of course you know reality kicks in you go to college you figure out it's it's mostly corporate web development and you know uh, forms over data and that kind of stuff which is fine and i enjoyed that i just wanted the time off to get back into it so yeah i've been i've been tinkering around with video games uh, long enough or aspiring to build video games for a while but this was this was my first game that anyone actually paid to uh, to play and what so. tech stack did you use to, to write this? I mean, did like what was the porting process like uh, with the website? Did you use any of the original code from that, or yeah? Was this so all we fresh? Um, so basically, it was interesting uh, with regards to the uh, web version because the web version was uh, is under a permissive license. It's MPL. So technically, I didn't. I never had to give him a dime, but I did it. <laughs> no, just to be. Uh, you know, we we worked it out. But he gave me like a private snapshot of. The code, the code he wrote. So basically, any contributions that anyone else made, he cut that out. He issued me. I'm doing air quotes, quote unquote, a private license, and um, from there, you know, we we split royalty. But uh, uh, there were there were parts of the game that required almost native frame rate. So I didn't want to do like a shoddy, wrap it in JavaScript, you know, put it out there. My main motivation was to actually like learn native mobile development. So I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. So uh, around that time, Swift wasn't available. So it was basically just Objective-C and, and Xcode. Um, and uh, I only had an iPhone. So Android was kind of not not my primary uh, primary motivation. It was like, okay, I want to build a game for myself, put it on my device. So I did Objective-C. Uh, I tried that for about a week, week and a half. And I just, uh, the language was interesting. I have a new found appreciation for Objective-C, but generally speaking, I didn't want the heavy editors I didn't want like the clicky draggy droppy kind of interfaces, like all the things that I've been doing for you know for a long time. So I went ahead and uh, used something called Ruby Motion, and uh, so the entire game is actually built in Ruby. Uh, and Ruby Motion is a is a platform that compiles Ruby code into LLVM bitcode that can then deploy to iOS and Android. At that time, Android wasn't supported; it is now, which is you know why I've deployed it. But uh, around that time, it was basically just you know straight straight Ruby and Objective C, and uh, the nice thing was that I can use my own editor. All the build was uh, command line centric, uh, so all those things felt uh, simple and right with regards to you know how I approached development or how how I wanted to approach development. But uh, yeah, it was twenty. Uh, it ended up being seventeen thousand lines of Ruby code, so it's a massive massive application for a text based game. I never thought a text based game could be seventeen thousand lines of code, but yeah, it is. It's pretty crazy. So what what was it about the the game that kind of made it balloon into to that much code then? Um, there's there's a surprising amount of complex. So there's a again spoilers. Uh, so there's this uh, ASCII based uh, roguelike map that actually gets generated, 
And then each one of the landmarks in there almost has a mini choose your own adventure type uh, story in there. So there, there's almost like 5,000 lines of just content and storyline with regards to all the different landmarks that are there and everything. And then the ran- uh, the maps are randomly generated. It's like a 60 by 60 character maps so with 3,600 characters. And then you have random encounters for like, with like different enemies, we have different types of DPS and weapons and all that stuff. So there's a bit of crafting that gets inter- involved in there and whatnot. So the UI code, though simple, uh, the, there's there's backend code that was that was quite a bit. I would say the backend code is about nine nine to ten thousand lines of backend code. But uh, that's kind of what uh, added the complexity of the game itself. So so I'd love to to dig into the experience that you had a little bit of of releasing a game like this and then watching it go viral since I know that's not an experience that you know the majority of de- developers or indie developers are really going to get to go through like uh you know what was that like um as it was rough uh I, it's you know I still like think back to it and it's like it's it's one of those moments in your life where uh everything is everything's a blur like I didn't sleep for for 20 days it is not it is not good sleeping, not sleeping for for twenty days. Um, like uh, day one when it hit the when it hit the number one spot, I got twenty thousand downloads on day one, um, and or when it when it hit viral and it hit the number one spot, and uh, twenty thousand downloads. You, I don't think anyone is prepared for that kind of success. Like you, you, you think about oh, I just had twenty grand, I just made twenty grand in a day. Like I may, I'm making thirty six dollars a second or a minute or some ridiculous number like that. You, you just don't think at those levels. And so I got kind of enamored with refreshing the app store to see when the ranks change. Uh, so great tip, uh, ranks update every three hours from 12 PM, <laughs> uh, 12 PM Cupertino time. So at 12 PM Cupertino is when the rank updates, uh, ranks update. And then after three hours, they, they update again. So on the T you can tell <laughs> where you're, where you're ranked based on that. Um, and I learned that, so I was like, okay, I can I can take three hour sleep sessions before I wake up again and and I check what my rank is. So it was it was pretty it was pretty weird. Um, it's surreal, right? And uh, there's a path, there's a part of it where you, you know it's going to end. You're like, there's there's no way it can stay there uh, for that long. So um, it, it went viral in the UK first. So the UK market is uh, about one fifth the size of the US market. So when it was at the number one spot in the UK, it was about four or five thousand downloads. So I mean. You, when that happened, I was like, okay, four or 5,000 times 365 times 10. That's a lot of money, right? And it never, it never happens now, that right? Yeah. <laughs> so it stayed there for about five days. And I was like, all right, this is cool. You know, that that was a good chunk of money. Um, but yeah, when it hit the number one spot in the US, and then when it didn't fall after five days, and then when it didn't fall after 10 days, and then when it didn't fall after 15 days, that's that's when, you know, my nerves really got really got to me. And you just got to kind of disconnect. Um, you know, I learned uh, work. Uh, you know, one of my things was to go go work out, but to the point of passing out, right? So a really good workout what makes you think nothing of nothing except for you know making that next next step or making that next lift or whatnot. So those kind of aspects of meditation wasn't didn't work for me, but you know, working out definitely did. Uh, so you you just kind of try to cope with those 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 kind of things, and surprisingly, you get used to it. Um, uh, after, after like, uh, it hit the, after it dropped from the number one spot, it's, it was still getting a thousand downloads a day for about a good four or five months afterwards. And, you know, you just get used to it. You're just like, yeah, okay. I made, you know, got another 1100 downloads. Let's, let's move on. 
which is weird, which is so weird to say. But um, obviously, it's not at those levels now. But um, it's it's surprising what you get used to, what what starts becoming normal again. Um, so as yeah. this thing is like starting to go viral, and you're starting to get all these downloads, are you you know at that point running into any issues that you're finding, any bugs? Like, what was the experience like in in trying to like keep up with um, that demand and make sure things were working smoothly? Yeah. So, so luckily no bugs. Uh, I think a part of that was because, uh, it kind of laid dormant for about three, four months before going viral. So that was one thing, but the, but one thing, uh, the other thing that really got me was the one star reviews because, uh, when it was in the RPG section, you know, people looking for RPG games know what they're getting. It's not, it's not a surprise to them, but when it hit the number one spot in the UK and it, man, I got bombarded by one-star reviews. It was, it was really bad because you see this game and it's got one screenshot. There, the description was just a wake, head, throbbing, vision, blur, blurry. That's that's all it said for the description. One screenshot, when you open it up, it's like a progress bar and you press the progress bar and it goes from 0% to 100% and nothing else happens. And the screen kind of turns white. And uh, it's, yeah, you see that and, and you paid a buck for it. Immediately what someone would do was like, this game is trash. They scammed their way to the number one spot. I cannot believe this. Um, so I did some metrics. Uh, my When I hit the number one spot, uh, 33% of my reviews were one-star reviews in the UK. So when it started climbing in the US, I was like, I am in deep... Winter is coming. Like, this is going to be <laughs> bad. I'm going to get destroyed. Uh, but surprisingly, it was it was a um, nine to one. So only uh, only ten percent of the reviews were one star reviews, and the the rest of them were were glowing, uh, glowing good reviews. So there's something about the UK market and how receptive they are to text based games that uh, just just was surprising. And then you know when uh, th- those are the first time where I really got some really mean one star reviews. So everyone's telling me my ugly my baby is really ugly and everything. Uh, so that's that's always a beating, but uh, again, it's weird. You you get used to it. You know, I've got I've got twelve hundred one star reviews that call me the scum of the earth, but you know, I've got twenty twenty six thousand five star reviews. So um, I guess it balances out. But you still feel it occasionally. Yeah, uh, but, that's, yeah that's that never nice to see. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, did, I, yeah. did did you do anything along the way to like adjust the description or anything in the app store to to try and like gate that to say like hey you know give this game a little bit more of a chance it's not just a couple progress bars. Yeah, um, well, I think what what happened was that we ended up adding the ended up adding the notoriety of the game. So like uh, you know getting published in the New Yorker, Cult of Mac, five stars, uh, you know best indie games, Forbes, twenty thirteen, all those things. So that generally helped. Um, but we didn't want to give away like any of the any of the storyline. There were a couple of people that said you just need to add some more screenshots, and we're like, no, we don't want to. The gamer in me was like, no, can't give away the storyline, can't give away the storyline. Uh, that was another thing that kept us from like doing ads and in-app purchases. That's why we did a premium game instead of one with ads. Or we didn't want to break the immersion. We didn't want to nickel and dime people. We just like, it's a buck. Like, look under your couch, find find the dollar. You know, pay, <laughs> pay, the, pay the fee. Yeah, like skip the coffee, you know, pay the buck, and I promise you'll you'll enjoy something that you like. So we did tweak it a little bit. Right now, the um, right now the uh, app store description reads: um, no in-app purchases, no ads, uh, you know, no crippled gameplay, no uh, elevated permissions, no Wi-Fi needed. So all those things are like the benefits of playing this kind of game, and that's helped. And um, I've gotten a lot of support from Apple too. So now, if you go to the app store, we actually have a um, a custom a custom app background page 
So um, you'll look at some apps and it's the generic page, and then you look at the other apps and they got the pretty, you know, color graphics or whatnot or some kind of embellishment. So we were given an embellishment for uh, the for what we accomplished, and that also that also helps dissuade people from from just you know saying ah this is a scam because Apple won't do that for for just any old app. And it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, the by nature of not wanting to share the story, you couldn't really do a whole lot as far as advertising and marketing. Um, so I'm curious what you if there is anything that you did do there, like, is there anything in particular that you can point to as what what like caused the tipping point for things to start going viral or anything yeah. that you did to kind of keep the keep the train going? Yeah, I think generally um, uh, posting doing doing Reddit giveaways. Uh, Reddit loves a dark room um, and I love Reddit. We love Reddit, Michael and I. So uh, there's a there's a subreddit called r slash app hookup. And over there, I would do promo code giveaways for the game and say, you know, hey, uh, download the or tell me something about a game like one of your favorite games. And then I'll give you a promo code. So it was never just throw the promo codes out there and then let people download it. I kind of uh, enticed them to have some kind of interaction with me. And so they started knowing me as a human being and like as a just a generally somewhat okay guy. And I think that that really helped building that relationship with at least that community. And uh, again, being transparent with uh, with our game dev and just blogging about my experiences and stuff. So uh, I got some good accolades from from that kind of that kind of stuff. I just I guess a lot other people hold that kind of information really close close to them and try to keep it secret. And I just uh, took the opposite pr- approach from that standpoint. So I think the Reddit community really helped. Um, I also made it accessible to the blind so blind people can actually play this game and um, it just you know it's a text-based game so again it was uh, it, it was easy to do surprise I always have some amazing things to to help the blind it's crazy so I got a lot of support from the blind community and of course they'll you know they shared it with everyone and and uh, some of those like small hyper niche con- connections uh, generally helped out and I think across the board if you're gonna build a video game if you're gonna it's mobile or any anything else, uh, look for those niche connections. It's if you build a flappy, crossy, Candy Crush clone thingy, um, it's going to be hard to find that specific audience that you want to target to. But if you make a game about the Great Emo War, you know, the Emu War of 1932, you're going to find people that obsess about the Great Emu War of 1932, and they will be- they will buy your game. So I think that's kind of that's kind of what you want to target with regards to. The 72 million, you know, iPhones that exist out there, and and uh, you can if you can find a thousand people to buy your game, uh, that's good, right? Because then when you buy when you build another game, that same thousand people will buy that other game, and that's how you create sustainability. And did you have accessibility in there right from the get go, or is that a use case, or is is that something that came up afterwards that you kind of layered in? Uh, it came up afterwards, so. Uh, Apparently, eighty percent of the, because I use like buttons, labels, text boxes, and progress bar. About eighty percent of the game was already accessible. It was just the map, like the ASCII map. I needed that to read out in a different way, as opposed to the letter T's fifty times. You know, uh, Siri would try to read that out, and it just didn't work. Um, but yeah, generally it was pretty. It was surprising how accessible by default it was. And I actually, some uh, a guy reached out to me on Twitter saying that I'm trying to play your game and, and I can't get past this one bar. And he told me that he was blind, and I'm like. Uh, all right, blind people play play games. Uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be a surprise, but it was a surprise to me. And then I was like, all right, well, let me see if I can make it accessible. And after I did it, it uh, took me about a week, week or two worth of work and testing. 
uh, th there's a cool uh, mode on the phone installs called Screen Curtain, and you like triple, you turn on accessibility and like triple tap with three fingers, and it actually blacks out the screen. So you can actually, it, it forces you to actually use the phone um, as if you can't see it. And the cool thing is that most blind people just keep that screen curtain on because they can't see the screen anyways. So they'll be on the bus and they'll be using this <laughs> this phone and it's like, <laughs> how are you using this thing? It's like, well, you know, it's kind of like a privacy thing and I don't need the screen. So, you know, why, why bother having it on? But uh, it was pretty cool trying to go through and, and figure out like all the, all the uh, accessibility quirks and everything. But it worked out. So is that something that you've been striving for in your other apps since uh, that was a success for you? Yeah, so the Ensign, uh, the Ensign was uh, is also another game that has uh, accessibility built in. I felt you know it was generally the right thing to do. Um, it helped my downloads a little bit, you know, and that that's fine and all. But I got some you know pretty good, uh, pretty nice emails from people that said it was accessible. A Noble Circle, uh, that's like a two D platformer. So unfortunately, it didn't make sense to make that accessible. I tried some like uh, sonar, like you know, clicking or something to say, oh, there's an obstacle directly to the right of you, but I couldn't really get that to work correctly. Uh, but any game that can be accessible and I can see a blind person playing, yeah, that's one of the things that I'll just do from from the get-go. Are there any other uh, marketing techniques that you tried that were either very effective or ineffective, either in, in you know a darkroom or the game sense that you've created? Yeah, so um, so shameless plug, right? I, I got a book out there. So it's called, uh, it's called Surviving the App, Spore, App Store. So if you go to leanpub, leanpub.com forward slash surviving the App Store, uh, you can you can get the book, and for those that listen to the podcast, if you do uh, Lean Pub Surviving the App Store forward slash C, as in coupon forward slash free, you can get the book for free. So uh, that's like a coupon that kind of doesn't expire. And if you want to give me a hat tip, great. You know, ten percent goes to a charity that that does uh, that helps kids learn to code. So there's like a lot of things I have in the book with regards to just general techniques of, you know, how do you market your game? How do you do? You know, Reddit promotions, how do you contact editors and, you know, publishers and whatnot. But I think the biggest thing for me uh, with regards to marketing the game is your App Store page, even though I do a terrible job for my own game, your App Store page should be really good. Uh, from the perspective of, you know, have good screenshots, have an app preview video for your game. I actually do this for our Noble Circle since, you know, the spoilers aren't the same. So I have a good App Store preview video. And uh, one other thing with regards to marketing as far as like potential, like revenue potential if you look, you want to look at your game and say, okay, do, what category does it belong in? And look at the 150th app in that category. So if you go to the top charts, you can scroll all the way to the bottom and see the 150th app. If you and download the app, buy the app, if your game isn't as at least as good as that 150th app with regards to quality, polish, etc., that gives you, you know, your lowest bar. Like if you can't if you can't make a game that's at least as compelling as the 150th app in your category. You need to go back to the drawing board and build it out. So once you have a polished game, then the question comes like, well, what's the revenue potential? So that way, what you do is you look at the number of reviews the game has. And you there's anywhere from a 1% to a maximum, honestly, maximum 5% conversion rate on reviews. So if you look at the lifetime reviews of an app, let's say, you know, it's a $1 app and it's got a thousand reviews. Um, you know that you, you can multiply that worst case by, you know, 100, best case by 20 or f swap that. And you have your, your lifetime revenue for a given application. So um, for an example, is I have a game called uh, Beautiful Go, which is like a virtual Go board. And my quote unquote competition right now, uh, it's, I think it's called Smart Go. 
uh, uh, Smartco, which is like a $15 Go app. It's pretty high. It's, you know, it's an expensive app and it does a lot of things. So I was like, okay, well, what's my revenue potential? I look at the reviews to say, okay, um, over a five-year period, they've generated you know, anywhere from, from $15,000 to $60,000 in, in revenue. And so that's kind of like my target. It's like, well, best case, I'm going to generate $60,000 or $60,000, uh, I think, divided by four, whatever the math is, 20,000 downloads, let's say, on my on my app. And that's a, uh, over the lifetime, over maybe four to five years. And that puts you in a position to say what's viable or what isn't viable within an application. But um, after you get the App Store, just to go back to the marketing, after you have your good App Store page and you have your good polish, the best thing is to just pitch it to Apple. So they have like an App Store promotion email address that you can just send your app to. If you send them a crappy app, they'll blacklist you and never talk to you again. And that's why that vetting process has to be there at the beginning. But once you, once you do a good job about you know, showing your app off or it's a good quality app and your App Store page is good, pitching it to Apple and getting featured, even if it's a minor feature, is the best way to market your app. The, the amount of conversions, you know, I, I got like a, uh, it's called, so there's the banner feature at the top that's like editor's choice uh that's instant yeah that's an instant 100 to 250,000 downloads like within within a a few days um if you hit that you're gold uh the next feature is is uh like best new games or best new game updates and you want to you want to be above the fold so like the first four four games that position can lead to anywhere from a three to seven x in revenue uh which is huge and then you know anything after that is a minor feature that could anywhere that could be just you know two x in revenue maybe maybe ten percent more in revenue, but uh, as far as all the conversion rates that's been my that's been my biggest converter, and um, that's comparing it to being published in the New Yorker. So a dark room actually got interviewed for by the New Yorker, and uh, getting featured <laughs> that that <laughs> led to a small spike. I was like oh cool you know a thousand downloads that's awesome. Getting featured uh, in f- first position under best new game updates. Oh, 7,000 downloads. Awesome, right? So that's that's kind of the uh, unfortunate uh, situation you have there. So yeah. just get featured in the App Store and, and make a really good quality app and then send that pinch, pitch email over. Still pretty cool to be featured in the New Yorker, though, I have to imagine. Yeah, Even if yeah. it didn't I mean, they directly translate to numbers. Yeah, yeah they fact check. They, you know, and, you know, uh, it's great when I can tell people just type in Amir Rajah in a dark room, and then the first thing, one of the first things that came was, oh, New Yorker. It's like, wow, okay, that's that's some legitimate stuff right there. Um, yeah, it's also hard to tar- uh, hard to top. So you get a success like that, and you're like, I am never, ever, ever going to top that, and that has been the case. So you get this whole thing of like imposter syndrome, is like, I'm never going to make a game that's going to be, that's going to make it into the New Yorker. Um, uh, 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 Richard Garrett, uh, the creator of uh, Ultima Online, um, he actually even meant, played a dark room and has mentioned it and said that it belongs in a museum. So you're in that situation where you're like, yeah, nope, I think I've, I think I should quit. <laughs> Maybe do something else <laughs> with my life because I've, I, you know, it's hit the top. But there's nothing else I can do here. Um, but yeah, it's 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 cool to be, you know, to have some to have that 45 seconds of fame. The microwave. What do they what do they call it? The microwave fame. Where it's like fifteen seconds of fifteen seconds of fame. It was nice to have that. Uh, I bet. Um, like, is there anything that uh, kind of closing out the marketing aspect? Is there anything that you would point out as mistakes that you made for marketing, or anything that in particular that you wish you had done differently? Um, well, one thing, one big thing was that uh, I should have talked about me building the game as I was building it. 
So that was one of the biggest mistakes was that when it released, who was I marketing to? I, I didn't create a community around it. I didn't create a story around it. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that, oh, if we got this new app, we're going to keep it hush-hush. And then they create a Facebook page with no likes or, you know, Twitter handle with no likes and they tweet out. And it's like, who's going who's gonna to receive your tweets? Who's going to, you know, re- you don't have a subscription. You don't have email subscriptions. You don't have, you know, any of that stuff. Who's going to reply to you? Who's going to care? So I think one of those, uh, that's one thing that uh, changed with, with how I build games, even with the Noble Circle, was that I started talking about the game, building it, doing early preview releases, and building a small community around that, that, you know, stayed engaged as, as I was developing. And then, and then when you release, you actually have an audience that you can speak to. So uh, that, was, that was one of the biggest things, especially if you're an indie developer and you have no name. You have to, you have to talk about your game. You have to talk about the art, the development, maybe do some preview videos. There's, there's so many different avenues with trying to find that niche community. Um, with, with Beautiful Go, uh, when I started building the game, I said, hey, I'm going to build a Go game. And I want to make a good virtual Go board for people to do independent study. What are things that I should consider? And, you know, they talked to me and they said, okay, think about this stuff, X, Y, and Z. I released the the game and then I went back to that Reddit and said, well, here's what we talked about. I promise I released it here. I released it. Try it out. They gave me feedback and I did another release. And they, you get that, you get that feedback loop of, look, this guy keeps, keeps coming back here, keeps talking about what he's doing. And then he he delivers after after he promises something. So from a marketing standpoint, yeah, you got to build that community even before your game is out. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I made up uh, uh, in the beginning. Um, I think another thing is uh, just be genuine. It's so it's so you get so many of the like canned you know template emails from people like even recruiters, right? You know a good recruiter from a bad recruiter just by the email that they send you. So if you're going to reach out to editors. Uh, you know, be really candid, send out the promo codes with the first email. There's no point in saying, Hey, this is my game. Uh, email me back and I'll give you promo codes. They're not going to email you back. Just get the promo codes, you know, with the game uh, and just be genuine and say, you're a real human being and get rid of all the canned templated blind copy uh, spammy stuff. It just, it it's, we get so much of it. We're just, we're just going to delete it. So I think uh, be genuine and then build that community before releasing. I think those are the two big things. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun offers leading error and crash reporting to over 30,000 developers around the globe and now offers real user monitoring for both web and mobile apps. Raygun's native mobile support brings deep analytics about how users are engaging with your mobile apps. Raygun platform customers can discover problems affecting their end users automatically, giving developer teams unique insights into the performance of their apps. Raygun offers a free 30-day trial, so get started at raygun.com today and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. So let's talk a little bit more about pricing. Um, you mentioned that a darkroom was just a buck and that, you know, you had a few different reasons for doing that. Have you tried any other different pricing approaches with some of your other apps? Yeah. So, uh, so unfortunately I've, I've quartered myself in a really bad way. Uh, the price is part of my brand, I guess. So generally you're going to get really minimalist games, um, low production value with regards to like graphics, but high quality in gameplay and narrative. And it's a buck. But uh, overall, if you're going to build a game in this day and age, um, if it's a premium game, it better be it better be good. Um, and your pricing model should two ninety nine is the new 
99 cents. So mostly a lot of the premium apps out there are going for 2.99 with no in-app purchases, no ads, no nothing. And uh, that's generally worked really well. Um, and I would even say, just go ahead and release a paid version and a free version. So do the 2.99, if you're not against having ads or interstitials or kind of any kind of in-app purchases, do the paid version for 2.99, then do the free version with, uh, with ads. Um, an interesting thing about ads and that, and this was frustrating when I found this out was that, you know, those video ads that you watch to, to get, um, maybe like some extra double your coins or, you know, new, uh, an extra wall or something, the developer doesn't get paid unless they actually click through. So you watch this 30 second ad, the developer doesn't get a dime for that. And, uh, they only get it if you actually click through and, and do that. So that's, that was generally frustrating when I, when I heard about that. So if you're going to do in-app purchases, do things that are more compelling to the user, like, you know, new skins or um, an extra weapon or a cool new engine for, for the racing bike or some of those extra things as opposed to just, oh, 99 cents remove ads or, you know, some of those things. And I think that's what really adds the compelling aspect to it. Uh, and examples like League of Legends, uh, I've, w- I've spent way too much money on skins, but, you know, it, it's it's all... It's a, it's just a stupid skin, but it's so awesome when you see a skin that you like and you know you buy it. So I think that is really telling for for games that um, that play that way. Uh, with regards to Mario Run, um, you saw I guess you can kind of see how free to start can not be that great. Um, so with Mario Run, for those that are not familiar with it, you get the first three levels for free, almost like a demo, and then you're uh, you you get a paywall. And uh, so there's free to play, which is the premium. Uh, uh, pay once in play, which is, sorry, free to play is the free with IAP. Pay once in play is premium, and then free to start is what what Mario did. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's still one of the top grossing apps, so it works. But there's this stigma about you know having these paywalls, and you just got to be careful with with how you do that. Um, I have a free version of a Noble Circle prologue. So um, it's a free version and it's almost like a, a Noble Circle Lite. So there's no ads or anything or any uh, free to start unlock paywall. It just says, hope you enjoyed the game, buy the paid version, here's a link to it. And my conversion rate's pretty high on that. So that's another technique you can use. But um, uh, I've, got, I've got a good list of like just high level apps of who, who does it well or who doesn't do it well in the book. But uh, off the top of my head, uh, Kung Fury does a really good job of conversion from uh, free to pay. And if you haven't watched the YouTube video for Kung Fury, watch it. It's awesome. Have you, have you guys seen it? No, I have not. Uh, it's, it's old school eighties, uh, old school eighties, nineties kind of cop and uh, cop show where you've got like the sidekick and who's got that terrible backstory. And you know, you're, you're, and you have to fight this, this bad guy. So Kung Fury is this Kung Fu cop that goes back in time to kill Hitler. And um, it's like 20 minutes, it was a Kickstarter video, Kickstarter that raised like some god awful amount of money and they released the show free on YouTube and then they've released an app that's hilarious and fun to play. So download Kung Fury, watch it too. And then there's another game called Opus, O-P-U-S. And it's a game about a robot that um, like kind of outlasted his parents who were human. 
and uh, they were on the space station and like everything, everything decayed and died while he was like turned off and he turned, turns back on to find that he's on the space station alone trying to find his mom and he thinks his mom is on earth. So it's this whole thing about exploring like a solar system map and, 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 uh, and trying to find earth on this map. And that's another uh, free to start uh, kind of experience that does a really good job at conversion. So uh, in summary, two ninety nine for pay. If you go free, ads are nice, but provide compelling content for them to want to unlock, and that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna generate your income. Right. And speaking of uh, the the free to start sort of model, and you mentioned Mario Run in particular, where I remember seeing recently a lot of reports of them getting slammed in the app store by a lot of bad reviews of people complaining that they had to pay it all, which is kind of that classic. Yeah app model and I'm, I'm curious to hear if, if you've sort of seen that in your games or in the if that's still going on in the the games market in general where if there's any sort of resistance to paying for content there or if that's just sort of like a noisy minority sort of situation unfortunately it is the majority um uh, and it's it's really frustrating it's like a race to the bottom kind of thing and then we've hit this local maximum where only the only the quote-unquote successful games are the ones that have this like microtransaction kind of give you frustrating gameplay with something to unlock the next thing. And it's really frustrating to, to be in that kind of position. Uh, for me, I guess I'm kind of lucky in the sense that uh, I'm not in the realm of their competition. So I'm not chasing the money that they're chasing. And I'm not all, I'm also not in the free uh, free market, which means the amount of competition I have with AAA titles just isn't there. So I guess that's one thing with going premium is that, I just don't have the competition that I that uh, they're fighting for, and um, I'm looking for a smaller piece of the pie. So when it comes to my own sustainability, yeah, the profit and the revenue for premium games is substantially lower than you know free to play, but I don't care because getting 200 downloads a day is still you know great money for uh, a lone developer, right? So I think uh, I think that's kind of where I'm dodging those bullets. So part of me hopes that everyone goes free. So then the premium app store just becomes a mirrors app store and, um, and then, uh, everything, everything's okay there. But, um, but unfortunately it is, it's this quasi sense of entitlement. Um, and it's because they're used to it because everything quote unquote really good uses that model. So why should I, why should I can get Minecraft for six ninety nine? Why should I pay, you know, nine ninety nine for 24 levels? That makes no sense. Why the hell would I do that? But uh, it, it remains to be seen if that will if that will ever change. Um, I think uh, the mobile market has matured quite a bit from where it was in 2013. So you have more bigger com- bigger companies that are making more polished experiences as opposed to just like porting old games over, and um, they might be able to demand more. It, it just it, it just comes down to yeah what what happens with with the users and uh apple's promoting is trying to promote uh paid games more too the the top grossing app section was supposed to promote paid games that's why they created that section was to show that expensive mobile games could be very profitable it just it just backfired right it just didn't work out for them unfortunately um but yeah it, it's it remains to be seen if that any of that can change it's tough do any of your apps require any like backend server infrastructure? Um, one of the the questions that I wrestle with is like, how do you maintain, uh, you know, profit in your app as you go forward with something that uses something that's costing you money on a regular basis for your users? 
Yeah, so nothing. None of my games are backend intensive. They're all um, they're all local play. I'm working on uh, again. The beautiful Go game will probably end up being um, like a near near play, like NFC near field communication or Bluetooth play or Wi-Fi play. But uh, yeah, I generally try to avoid um, server side stuff just because of that cost and that downtime that can downtime that could potentially be. Um, there's an investment you got to make there, right? And um, uh, as far as uh, so. I know I haven't exp- worked at all with like the iCloud um, uh, app offerings, but I would, if you're not trying to do cross-platform, that might be like one of those options where they, you know, Apple will support you from that perspective as far as server load. And especially if they want to feature you, they'll probably set you up in a way that says, we'll make sure that, you know, your stuff doesn't get bombarded. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. I had, I actually built a Windows phone game when I was, when I was first developing apps Oh, Windows phone app, not a game. Sorry. So I had my Windows phone. This was before I quit my job or anything. I was hardcore Windows and I had a Windows phone and I had, um, I built a budgeting app that had a backend and yeah, it goes down for five minutes and there's a one-star review that says this app sucks. I tried using it. Yada, yada. And it's like, oh man, it's just not worth it. It's just those don't go away. <laughs> they don't. They. It's really frustrating. And then, and then when you know the servers back up and you do all these great updates, you don't get the follow up saying that hey, this is right. You know, this is great. So yeah, generally speaking, I try to avoid uh, server side games. Um, I think another issue is that I'm one guy, right? So there's only so much, so much I can do from that standpoint. So yeah, Wi-Fi games is great. Uh, local play games or completely no data games. Um, That'd be the safest thing if you're getting started with game development and you're on your own. So then the other side of uh, the, the the pricing conversation is the actual revenue that you're getting from this. And um, you've actually been one person that I, I've, I can point to that's been super, super open about the, the revenue that you're bringing in and all these different uh, metrics and statistics and stuff that you're collecting, which is great because it's not a lot of people are actually talking openly about all this stuff. It's all kind of kept very close to the chest. Right. Um, so can you... Can you talk about uh, the, kind of the the revenue that that you've been able to bring in as as part of this? Like, you know, yeah, both say during the the viral phase when things were were crazy, you weren't sleeping, and you're just like watching the money roll in at you know at a calculating a per second rate as you were talking about yeah, earlier. And then you know the drop off and you know norm the return to normalcy. Right. So um, uh, w- the year that we went viral, uh, we made we made eight hundred thousand dollars in revenue. So uh, that was like, whew. Um, when it was, it was, it was fun. I, when you get a check from from Apple, that's two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. That's how much we. That's how that's how much we made in that one um, in that one year. I mean, in that one month, we were we were at the at the top spot. So um, yeah, number one spot, we hit twenty grand, and after that, our our uh, we got maybe anywhere from eleven to fifteen thousand downloads a day. Uh, for a good period of time, um, we had uh, holidays are great. We we actually we actually timed it perfectly because uh, well we didn't time it perfectly. It timed itself perfectly. We hit the number one spot. Four days later, Easter happens to happen, and then we get a huge spike because of Easter. Um, it it also happened to be four twenty, so there's probably like some double dipping <laughs> that happened there. <laughs> so <laughs> we got we hit the number one spot. Then we got the Easter four twenty spike, which is great. Um, and, um, and you know, that helped downloads, but, uh, yeah, I take this, I take this, uh, I get 250 grand in, uh, in my personal bank account. I have to transfer, I have to transfer this to my business account. I'm in the bank and these people are like, what the hell 
are you doing? Like, what do you do for a living? And it's like, uh, I built a game. Um, <laughs> uh, can you transfer all this money over? And then I need to wire half of it to some guy in Canada. And they're like, what is going on here? Um, <laughs> sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, this sounds legitimate, right? Can I have IDs? They had to call, you know, they have to ring the bell to get like two people to come in and sign things. So it was all kinds of fun. But uh, yeah, we did 800,000 800, in, in the first year. The second year was obvious, is obviously lower. Um, the second year we, uh, we averaged about, uh, about three to 400 downloads a day. So still, still a very, um, very good revenue. And then year three, which is the year we're in right now, we're about, we're still about, about 150 to 200 downloads a day. So, uh, the long tail is really great for, for this game. And I think, uh, generally, I think we're an exception, unfortunately, uh, for, for the long tail, but it's been, it's been pretty good, uh, for the ensign, uh, the ensign, which is the prequel, we have about a 25% conversion rate. So it's making, it's making about 25% of the revenue that a dark room's making. And then a noble circle, which is a brand new IP. Um, I've got, I've got a following from, from doing a noble circle, but that one's doing substantially less, probably about anywhere from 20 to 50 downloads a day. Not a lot, but you know, again, I'm one guy, uh, that's, that's plenty of money, plenty of money. Um, and uh, once you once you start having having that following, it becomes becomes a little bit easier to to build your next game. And of course, Apple likes you at that point, so Apple will continue to feature you and help you out. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of like the general revenue. Um, sadly, a successful app makes about four thousand annually. Like if you've made four thousand dollars, bravo! Like you did a good job there. And uh, I think really what it comes down to is having a lot of small, quote unquote, successful apps out there. So, yeah, $4,000 annually doesn't sound like a lot for one app. But once you have 10 apps out there, you know, that's that's good. That's that's a good amount of money. And that's what you have to target as an indie indie developer or as a small time developer. And just find those niche markets. I think that's also really important is that a lot of the things that I write that I build are not are not. Um, you know, they're not for the general populace or for niche markets that I can find. And um, just you kind of do your review math and and pull that out. But uh, $800,000 first year. After that, we're pulling in anywhere from, you know, hundred to 150000 a year uh, across your games. Sadly, um, if you want to get – if you, it didn't make me rich. Um, if you want to be rich, be the government or Apple because the government took, uh, you know, like – uh, it was like thirty-six uh, percent marginalized tax plus another fifteen percent self-employment. Apple takes another thirty grand off the top. I think like a first year we I walked away netted two hundred and sixty k, which is mm-hmm. uh, I put a down payment on a house, and uh, so I'm I'm I am a homeowner. I actually <laughs> I actually own my home, and I only have to pay you know the eight thousand a year in taxes for the rest of my life. But at least I don't have a mortgage payment. But um, yeah, you you don't retire to the Bahamas, unfortunately. Um, even with a number one app at, even there for a hundred, you know, a full month, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, so that was that was a cruel and unusual, I mean, cruel awakening for me after after all the math was done. It's like great, wait, where all my money go? It's like all right, yeah, everywhere else. Um, and I and people have talked to me like, well, if you build your own game. Then you know you would have done much better. It's like, but what are the chance? What are the chances you're going to build a number one app? And then what are the chances you're going to build a number one app by yourself? Uh, it's just you're you're. It's a lottery. You know, you, I got lucky, um, and 
what I do in the book and obviously on this podcast is share the more reasonable piece of nuggets of nuggets of advice. And, you know, that's unfortunately how it is. Yeah. So, so what you were saying before about, um, you know, that, that 4,000 a month sort of average there and, you know, a, a good approach being sort of releasing a whole bunch of apps and having recurring 4, revenue from year. all of those. Oh, a year. Sorry. 4, right. Even, a year, yeah. even more so. Yeah. Um, that sort of begs the question of how, how much upkeep are you doing? Like in the meantime on these, how many, like, as you were, as you were watching all this money come in, like, are you releasing updates to the app or is it able, was it able to kind of sustain itself along it's that timeline? Itself. Um, generally you have to, you have to deal with updates around September, November timeframe because they're going to, a new release of iOS comes out. So uh, I'll download the app, make sure it still works. And uh, if it does, you know, that's, that's really, that's really all I do. Um, if I do end up having an update for the app, I contact Apple and let them know that I'm doing a non-trivial update. So that gives me an opportunity to potentially get featured again or refeatured or, you know, uh, best new game updates or some variation of that. But generally speaking, uh, the upkeep for the app is small. Yeah, you don't have to update as much. I mean, I think a darkroom hasn't been up. The only reason I updated a darkroom was because of my connection with Apple. But before that, uh, a darkroom hadn't been updated for a good year, year and a half. And it just, you know, kind of sits there and you know, makes its income. So, and yeah, you get all the bugs fleshed out, especially when it's, when it's only a client-side app. Uh, you can just kind of sit there. And so you yep. mentioned that you released uh, new releases for Android as well. Uh, where exactly does that like fit into the whole timeline of this? And what you know, what's the the sort of story of iOS versus Android in terms of uh, revenue and marketing and and all of the things that you know you do for each platform? Right. So uh, again, Reddit loves us. So I got some good bumps uh, because of Reddit. Uh, when we released to Android, um, Android's revenue is anywhere from one uh, twentieth to one third at best of iOS's. So again, I'm only speaking for premium apps. I don't know, I know I don't know the free apps, but generally speaking, um yeah, if it if it takes you we'll we'll take we'll take bet, best case of of one third your revenue. I mean, th- that's kind of what you're looking at. If you if you're going to make an iOS exclusive uh a property, if it takes you any any more than 33% more effort, it's almost not worth it. Right, you're breaking even at that point uh, for for the revenue in Android, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of the number, right? And that's best case. Uh, there were there were times, and I, so I did a side by side. I released in um, June of 2015, so I have about six months of data that I'm operating off of at the time of this recording. And um, uh, day one release, you know, we got a we got a good number of downloads, which was great. Um, the number five spot in iOS, again, back in 2013, which I understand was a while back, but I had 6,000 downloads a day at the number number five spot on your games, uh, which is the number one and about 5,000 downloads at the number one spot in the UK. On Android, at the number five spot, it was 530 downloads, right? So you're looking at a factor of 10 at that point. And um, even today, uh, a dark room... Uh, right now is a number fifteenth RPG, so it's not it's not even the top one hundred and fifty games overall. It's not even the top ten RPG, and uh, right now it's making uh, it, it had one hundred and sixty eight downloads on Android today. It's had thirty six downloads. So there's there's just no. I mean, I can be the one hundred fiftieth RPG and get in, pull in about what thirty percent of the downloads is a number five spot on Android. Um, 
And that's just the nature of the situation. Uh, for me, it makes sense. Over a six month period, I made fifteen thousand, you know, sixteen thousand dollars, which is great. Uh, but that's coming off of a, you know, an eight hundred thousand dollars success story, right? So, realistically speaking, if you're going to make, you know, if you're going to make a game that could potentially make four thousand dollars, four thousand dollars annually on iOS, you can expect to make maybe four hundred annually on Android, and uh, at least for premium. I can't I can't speak for uh for free at this point. So um that's kind of the situation. And it's annoying because you have to support all these different devices, which is frustrating. <laughs> right. Well that that was what I was gonna kinda go into next too, because you mentioned that you were working on top of Ruby Motion. So I was wondering uh-huh. how much it, like once they released their Android support, it sounds like you didn't really get Android for free just by nature of that being supported. Uh you have to do some UI stuff. Uh so uh, one thing is performance. Uh, that's the frustrating part because someone will email you. I had one person email me saying that your game doesn't work on my three-year-old uh, tablet, used tablet that used to be a tabletop receipt receiver for some casual restaurant. I hate you. Go to hell, right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're using a device that can barely, you know, can barely run like some receipt paper through it. What, what makes you think it can play any game? Even though it's a text-based game. I know the text-based game is mm-hmm. uh, the weird part of it, but there's a lot of data in that text-based game, I'm telling you. So you get these like weird one-off devices and then um, compatibility, like just resolution compatibility, f- uh, flow layouts, all those things have to be taken into consideration when you're when you're dealing with you know these Android systems. So a lot of the... Um, so I won't say that I had a diverge in my code base per se, I just had to optimize parts of my code that I never thought I'd have to optimize hmm. ever, right? So it's like, okay, well, this this data structure used to be, you know, 3,600, uh, a flat dictionary of 3,600 keys where the keys were two-dimensional arrays for like, for like the XY coordinate. And on iOS, that was fine. Like it didn't even, you know, chug to iterate through that. But on Android, some devices, like I have this like Moto Snapdragon 7 old device there was like lag to go through 3,600 entries. And it's like, what is what is wrong with this thing? So then I had to redo the structure to be a hash of hashes where the X value is a dictionary key and then the Y values are, you know, a sub-dictionary where, you know, all, all the terrain is. So yeah, smaller dictionaries are. Then I had to change the persistent logic uh, of, you know, of how those things are saved and retrieved from the data stores and things like that. So all those like stupid little things. Uh, that I have to deal with as far as the bottom bar for for Android was was generally frustrating. Uh, on iOS, iPhone five is the lowest resolution, right? Lowest speed, lowest resolution. I support iPhone five, and then everything else, which is stupid fast as it is, and then everything else is built on top of that. So I think that was just the the most frustrating part about about Android. Sounds all this sounds pretty consistent with uh, yeah. you know, previous stories and and personal <laughs> accounts and and whatnot. I'm uh, sorry to say, this, like I wish I, I wish it wasn't true, but um, and I love the open platform, right? I love open source. I love that. It, it's just it sucks. It's frustrating. Yeah. And and you know, you, uh, Nintendo follows suit. There is no Mario run for Android, and there's a reason for that. It's because it doesn't make any money. Um, so I mean, I don't know if there's like an exclusivity thing. We'll see if there's. After the 30 days have passed, if they're going to release for Android, it remains to be seen. They probably saw Pokemon Go and said, it's not worth it. It's not worth the effort to deploy to Android. But uh, that's hearsay right now until they actually uh, show if they're going to come out with it or not. 
Right. Yep. So yeah, I don't want to, you know, I, I definitely encourage everyone to to check out the book. I don't want to, you know, completely make you give away all the secrets it's on this. It's 300 but, pages. So there's definitely a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> cool. But kind of before we wrap up here, as we're coming up on the hour, like, uh, is there any other sort of parting advice that you would give to to budding indie developers or, you know, be they already game developers or someone kind of curious the same way you were interested in getting into this or anyone just looking to release an app in general, right? Like the these app stores are massive at this point. Yeah, um, build build your game as fast as possible and get it out there. Because the issue, the thing is, is that people will spend like, I, I see, I get too many emails that say, man, I've been, I've been spending five months building this game. And the first thing I'm saying, what did it look like one month ago? Like after one month, why didn't you release that? Because, you know, on Fort Newsflash, even if you spend five months on it, when you release it, no one's going to download your game. So might as well release it one month in and see if you can get a few downloads and iterate publicly because then that gives you uh, a position to, that gives you an opportunity to show those people that download the game that you're continuing to update it. And then also shows Apple and Google that you're committed to their platforms. So if you see, if they see one game and then you've disappeared, that doesn't say a lot, but if you've got one game in there that's had 10 updates, they might be more inclined to get you featured. So, you know, just get something out there. It doesn't have to be perfect because we're in this beautiful, wonderful world of being able to like redeploy and update our app without physical media. So, you know, we have to, as developers, take advantage of that. And um, I think uh, I think that's just the number one most important advice is just to get something out there. And uh, uh, it goes, it, it says a lot to be able to do that. And then once you get it out there, measure, right? Try different things. Uh, actually try to back up what you do with, you know, with some form of data. Um, I don't phone home in my applications because again, I've made these mistakes already and I've learned the hard way, but, uh, you know, try phoning home, try to see the usability, the usage of your apps, uh, see what kind of information you can, you know, you can get out of it. Of course, if the server's down, just fail silently, right? Don't crash the app. But, um, but those kind of things, you know, get your app out there and then measure, make a change and see if it, see if it helps. And that's going to be the most, the best way you can uh, become successful. Another, uh, and then the second advice is when you get that second property out there, because you will need more than one property, have interstitials between your apps. You'll see, a, you'll see, a, or you'll, you'll see like a, a, a bump across both your apps just by simply saying, Hey, I've got other apps that, that exist out there. So a dark room, the ensign and Oval circle, all three of them have interstitials to each other. And with every new release, it's, it's going to, you know, bolster that, that pool of downloads. So I think those are the two big things. Awesome. Well, I think that's a that's that's a great spot to to sort of close off on. But but thanks, Amir, for for joining us today and chatting through all this, and just in general for for being so open with with numbers, be it revenue, downloads, all of that. Like it it, it really is. Um, yeah, it's stuff that just isn't isn't shared very often. Yeah, so there's a lot of pie to great. go around. That's that's the good news is that I'll I'll never be able to conquer conquer the pie. Just don't build any minimalist text based RPGs. That's that, that's my piece. <laughs> of that. um, and you know uh, anyone can reach out to me on my email ar at amirrajan.net or on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too. So you know just reply to me on Twitter. I'd be happy to you know reply back if you have any questions or anything. Yep. Sounds good. And we'll include links to, to everything in the show notes, so they'll be right on the page. Um, and thanks again for, for joining us, and thanks to everyone for listening to Gone Mobile, and we'll see you next time. Bye.